It is Sunday. A lot of my friends are complaining. My pastor friends, it's so stressful. It's too stressful. I'm going to have burnout. And I was like, bro, just do one service. <laughs> Super easy. Well, no. More people must come to the Jesus. Yes, that's why there's a billion churches in Florida. If I hit a golf ball from here, with my swing, I'm going to hit the same church over and over. But generally, I mean, there's how many churches? How many churches did you have to drive by to get here? Except for you guys. You walked across the street, okay? But most of us, I mean, I only go by one now. There's one that I go by. And, uh, and this year, I was like, I'm not even going to put out a sign. This silly. Easter. There's no sense in stressing people out. I'm going to stress you all out next year. Um, I have to do some updates. So if you're new, welcome. My name is Ryan and I'm your pastor and we're glad that you're here. And it is a momentous occasion. The, the day we are celebrating that Jesus rose from the dead and that matters. And as I, I shared in the beginning of service, if you weren't here, we've been going through a really cool series that I love called Elohim, the spiritual beings in the Bible. Usually we just go through books of the Bible, verse by verse, chunk by chunk. But this series has been something where we've been examining the, the spiritual realm and what it has to do with our realm and how these two realms, the spiritual realm and our earthly realm, how they overlap and interact. So I thought it would be fitting on this Resurrection Sunday to ask the question, not that I've preached dozens of times, which is, okay, why the resurrection? Why is it important? Many of you may know those answers, but if not, we're still going to touch on those. I really wanted to approach this, and I did title this, if you're in the Bible app on version, I used the E word, you guys, Easter. Just because I thought it'd be cool. The Unseen Easter is a much cooler title than the Unseen Resurrection Sunday. The Unseen Easter. So what happened in the spiritual realm on Easter? Uh, and that's where we're going today. But I do, because we are the chapel family, we're not just friends, we're family. Um, there is an update that many of you have asked me about already this morning. Uh, many of you have been praying. You saw our email message from earlier and Facebook post from earlier in the week. Um, one of the, our student pastor, Edwin, one of our elders as well, he's been at the chapel. I mean, really, how long has he been at the chapel? Like since Amazing Grace was written in 1784, he's been here um, We've been praying for his wife, Miss Kathy. They're online watching right now from the hospital. Everyone say, hi, Miss Kathy. Hi, Kathy. That was Don said. Don said, Pastor Ryan loves you more than the rest of us. That's what, that's what she said, which camera I'm looking at. Um, so we're praying for her. She was discovered last week. She's my birthday twin. We have the same birthday. And then she discovered that uh, something was going on with her throat. They scanned her. There was a mass in her brain. She had surgery on Tuesday, Wednesday, had the mass removed, and we're going to continue to pray um, for her healing, for her treatment that will come uh, now after the, that's the first step, and then there's a lot of steps that will come after that. So, Ms. Kathy, we love you so much, and we are grateful that you are here with us online. And Edwin, it's not the same without you here, brother. I don't have any Baptists to make fun of except for my father-in-law now. So, if you want to open your Bibles to Corinthians 15, that's where we're going to land. But we're going to talk about what was happening in the unseen realm, the spiritual realm, and why that makes a difference. And if you're new here, I do have a little story that I want to read to you. And if you're friends with me on the Book of Faces, you might have already read this. But I just needed... If you're new and you're like, okay, let's find out if this is a good fit for my family because people are, they're church shopping. This, I feel like this story 
that I wrote yesterday sort of encapsulates the Chapel family. So if you hear this story and you're like, I, I don't like that he said those words up there, then I, I'll give you more churches that you could try. Imagine you're part of a feisty neighborhood Facebook page. You know the type, where everyone has an opinion. Now, imagine you got drunk on a Saturday night and you were caught on video throwing up all over the neighborhood community park, let's call it Park Square. Your face clearly seen, your name boldly plastered by every Karen and Kyle in the group. Would you go to a church gathering in that community the following morning? Sadly, I think many would not. The sadness for me is not that shame and guilt would be overwhelming. The sadness is that so many churches have implied or explicitly taught that church is a place for clean and moral people, not for, and this is my favorite line, park square pukers. Now imagine this. Imagine you were in this very same community and instead of being a belligerent drunk, you are walking across the road and a car carelessly misses a stop sign, crashes into you, throwing your body into violent twists so that you've hit your head, broken a leg, and you're left with multiple lacerations and you need stitches. Instead of going to the hospital, you crawl home to lather your gashes with Neosporin, wrap your bent leg with an ace bandage, and cover your throbbing head with an ice pack. We would think that person is foolish, right? At least my mom would. You see, we, rightly, if we saw someone get smashed by a car, would say, we, we've got to get to the hospital. We've got to go to the hospital. We've got to get the scans. It's the healthy thing, the wise thing, the good thing to do. See, are you lost or broken? Are you puking or drunk or depressed? Are you trapped in something that you feel like is spiraling your life downward out of control? Do you feel like you are morally unable to approach God? It's silly that we've treated church as a place where you have to clean yourself up in order to come in the doors. If you're here and you're thinking, I am a messed up person and I need to find salvation and freedom, then you're in the right spot. It doesn't matter what you're going through now or what you will go through. The gospel is that you're forgiven past, present, and future. You are loved by God in Jesus, and you can't be unloved. No matter what you do, you are his if your faith is in Christ. So I needed you to hear that because I know on Easter people try out churches. And, um, and this is just a family of ragamuffins who are pursuing and being pursued by a glorious God. And that's the beginning, Adam and Eve, dirt. But before the beginning, if, and I can't do the whole series because it's been a whole series, before our world was created, there were these beings called the sons of Elohim, sons of God. This is the word for God in the Old Testament. If you see G-O-D, it's this word, Elohim. And, and the Bible says there are sons of Elohim. We now tend to call them angels and or fallen angels. And it said they looked on as the creator made all of the things. And then God created a new type of being that wasn't like these spiritual beings. It was us human beings. And in our humanity, God did something to us that he did not do to them. He breathed his very breath into humanity. And then we have the first rebellion in the spiritual realm. There was a very attractive spiritual being. We call him Lucifer 
the morning star, depending on what show you watch, the devil, the Satan, the serpent, the dragon. And this spiritual being said, I am not going to let the most high God, I don't want him to be the one in charge. I want to be the one in charge. So he started the first rebellion and he came down and he tempted Adam and Eve. We know the story. If you grew up in church, you know the story. If you grew up in church, you know that once upon a time, there were two people running around a garden naked, eating mangoes. At least that's how I picture it in my mind. Don't picture that in your mind. And a serpent comes up and it talks. And it, the serpent isn't just a snake, it's a spiritual being. And this spiritual being did something that will fracture us forever because up to this point in the spiritual realm, you have spiritual realm and the earthly realm, and they overlapped in Eden. Eden was that Venn diagram that none of us understood what to put in it in school. And in the middle where Eden intersected the spiritual realm and the earthly realm, God walked with us. We were created as both physical, natural, earth beings and spiritual beings because we were made from the dirt and the breath of God. And these spiritual beings in heaven, some of them did not like that. So they began to rebel. And as they rebelled, their first act was to fracture our relationship with the creator. And they did that. And when they did that, we were no longer to go into Eden where the spiritual realm and our realm intersect. We were kicked out. The rest of the Bible is getting us back to that point where we can connect with God in the way that our bodies were designed. So now, so now we fast forward all the way up because we, I want to ask, I asked the question, what was Jesus doing? What was going on in the spiritual realm when Jesus died and then there on the quietest Saturday of all history and then he resurrected on Sunday. I want to know what was happening there in the unseen realm. Because in the seen realm, we can look around and see things in the seen realm. But many of you, as I've come to hear and learn from this series, have experienced things that are not explainable. So Jesus comes on the scene. And when Jesus comes on the scene, we know that more spiritual rebellions came down to earth because they knew that the creator was up to something. And then there's this really weird moment in the temptation where the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all of their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. The devil said, Jesus, you who created all things, I now run this world. And that's a different sermon from four weeks ago. That God handed over the world to be governed by spiritual beings. And you may ask why. I'm not going to answer today. I'm sorry. Go to Spotify. I love you. But what is important is that Satan offered something to Jesus. If you bow down to me. Because that's all he's wanted. The devil has always wanted to be the one whom all others bow down to. And Jesus, of course, replied that he would not. You shall worship only the Lord your God. Be gone, Satan. Now, what's interesting to me about all this is that Satan is the ruler of this world. And you have to get this point. If you don't understand that Satan is ruling the world up to this point in history where Jesus is moving toward the cross, beginning his church ministry, then you won't understand what he did in the unseen realm. It's like as a dad 
Okay, this is going to sound terrible, but I know my dad's not watching and my grandpa is with the Lord now. You know old school dads? You know the fear that they struck into your soul? Okay, I'm just trying to figure out who was abused, okay? Um, let me, okay, I know, I, I know you, you can barely tell this. And if you're new, if, you're, if you've been here forever, you're like, oh, he's about to say he's Filipino. Yes, I'm Filipino. And it matters for this story. My grandpa T, not my kid's grandpa T and my dad, no, my grandpa T, when I misbehaved, we had to hold books out in a, the shape of a cross. Now that I'm saying it out loud, it's quite terrifying. And if our arms began to sag, he had this bamboo switch and he would stand behind me and my cousin Brian. And as our arms were shaking, our 10-year-old feeble arms, if they begun to drop down a bit, where was that switch coming from? 6 o'clock to 12 o'clock, right in the sweetest part of your arm. And you guys are like, oh, okay, now we know who the millennials are. We're clear. There were other times in my life, and I just talked about this with my dad. He was visiting and he said, well, it didn't really hurt you, did it, when I held your hand over the stove? No, Dad. Why would that hurt? Like literal hellfire. Well, I held it up high. It's fire. Okay, now that I've sufficiently brought up the trauma of every Gen X dad in this room, I need you to understand, like, that level, the authority, the fear, and I don't, I don't have it in the same way, but I do have, there's a gift that you get. If you're wondering when you get that fear switch, I don't know how it happens, but somehow when your first child is born, God gives every father the bat dad voice. You know what I'm talking about? Like the mom could be screaming, what are you doing? Stop, brush your teeth. Ah, it's the witching hour. But as soon as dad is like, get to your room now. Every kid's like, doesn't matter. The mom could have been screaming for 30 minutes. As soon as dad looks at him, I don't know if there's a glow that comes off my face. I don't know what it is. But I know when I get to that full dad mode, it's not even the yelling one. It's after the yelling when you get down there and you look at someone and you say, suck it up and clean your room. That was for your parents. The authority was given to other beings. And Satan was the leader of these other beings who had authority. And throughout the Old Testament, God said, the world is going to these other spiritual beings, but Israel is mine. And now God has come into the flesh and Satan's like, look, if you just do this for me, I'll give you everything you want because he has all the power. This is why he has, he can say, I'll give you all the kingdoms. You can't give something that you don't have. So from this passage, in the temptation of Jesus, we have this weird scene. He has the authority. He has the ability to do things and control aspects of this world. We've, we've missed this. That's been my favorite part of this series, has been looking at how spiritual beings are utterly neglected. If you're new, if this is your first day, I'm going to say some crazy stuff. Here's crazy number one. If you read Daniel 10, Daniel prays to God. God sends Gabriel to answer Daniel's prayer. Gabriel gets there 21 days later. 21 days later. And Gabriel says, look, I'm sorry. I was held up by the prince of the heir of Persia. I was held up by a spiritual being who is in charge of Persia. 
And I'm here to deliver the answer, but I've got to go back because the spiritual being, the prince of Greece, is going to join the prince of Persia to fight against Michael. And we don't talk about this in churches because it's weird. But at the chapel, if it's weird, we love it. Because in this worldview, it's called the Deuteronomy 32 worldview, where when God separated the people at the Tower of Babel, it says in Deuteronomy 32, he separated the people based on the number of sons of Elohim that were existing. So God said, I'm separating into this number because this is how many spiritual beings I'm allowing to rule around the world, where the spiritual realm overlaps our realm. This is why Paul says it is not against flesh and blood that we are fighting, but against the rulers and the principalities and the authorities over this present darkness, over this evil age. Your political enemy is not your enemy. There are spiritual beings that are pulling strings behind everything that you read and hear and see and know. And then we have this beautiful moment because some of you are wondering, okay, I want to just know, how do I get to heaven? How do I get there? There's this guy, and pastors will always point to this, a thief on the cross. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The, the one guy, everyone's trying to kill him. Everyone has already beat him, bruised him, whipped him, put the crown on him. They've hung Jesus up on the cross. And this one guy says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You see, we in the West are obsessed with how do I go to heaven? Everyone in the biblical times understood this was a kingdom thing, that this was a transition of power. And Jesus says to him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So this is one thing we know about the unseen realm. When Jesus died, he was in paradise because we know he won't lie at least if you believe the scriptures. So what did Jesus do? We know that he died. We know that this guy died. And we know that that day they were in paradise. Now what's interesting is that he wants to know, Jesus, remember me when your kingdom comes. When your kingdom comes. We do not want kingdom. We don't want it. If anything, if anything, I, I would say maybe we want just a decent life here and then a better life there. We don't have a concept that there is a spiritual war that is continually going on right now and that God was at the pinnacle of it right in this moment. And then Jesus said something that forever changed my life and I pray that it would change yours. He said, it is finished. And then he died. I have it written on my arm to tell us die. It is finished. It is finished. I envy some of your jobs. In fact, some of your jobs I envy so much because you get to finish. Uh, I haven't been a pastor my whole life. As a matter of fact, I've tried to run from it twice. Once to an island. I should have known better. There's a whole book of the Bible about that. Um, I should have gone to like Kansas or something, you know. <laughs> if you're from Kansas, I'm sorry. I pick on Kansas a lot because it just, I don't get it. <laughs> like the whole concept of Kansas just seems weird to me. <laughs> but um, in my job, nothing's ever finished. I, and I didn't realize that because I started, I, I became a pastor so young, I kind of didn't really know. Like I was like changing oil and tires. And then the church was like, yeah, you should come talk to kids about Jesus. I'm like, yeah, let's do that. And then I got like a degree. And I'm like, wait, you get paid for this? This is crazy. And then when I tried to run from it, I went to, uh, to do clinical trials, monitoring cl clinical trials and working in that field. And I, I had no idea how fun it was 
to just leave your job at your job. Just like some of you guys can literally do your job and be like, that's it. Did all I'm going to do for the day. And I'm going to go home and I'm going to eat dinner and throw my kids up in the air. Like this week, my job is this. I'm reading, I'm praying, I'm going to the hospital, I'm coming back, I'm going to the hospital, I'm crying, 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 joy, crying, joy, crying, joy. I'm going to bed at night, my wife's like, are you okay? And I'm like, yes, I don't know. There's emails I still haven't gotten back to. We got a letter today, Jared's like, here's a certified mail. Do you know what this is about? Yeah, some kid got their finger smashed in a door during the Lego camp. And I don't have to deal with that, thankfully. It's someone else's insurance. But it just keeps going. That's why I like mowing my lawn. When you mow your lawn as a pastor, you can turn around and say, I did something. You know, we only work one day a week. It's the craziest thing. Um, we only sleep one day a week, too, though. <laughs> it's, yeah. You see this, um, this moment, like of this job, you see you guys have this job and you're like, I'm done for the day. This was all of history, waiting. God's like, okay, there was a time when I walked with humans and there was a time when they walked away and then I'm making these paths back to me. Look to me, humans, look to me, humans. I'm gonna be right here. I'm not gonna let these other spiritual beings mess you up. I'm gonna guard you, guide you, protect you. I'm gonna teach you things that you could not otherwise know. And all of this work, it's going in. And when Jesus said, it is finished, it's finished. It wasn't just a call to say your sin has been paid for, it's finished. He said all of this battle, all of the rebellions, all of Satan and the devil and his flunkies fighting against the creator, I'm putting an end to it. All of the kingdom authority that Satan had, I'm finishing it. All of the pain and death and suffering, it is being finished. So when Jesus, it's like that, ah, ah, I'm done. I'll never get to experience that unless I try to not be a pastor again. But I get to feel the, the weight of it. When Jesus said it is finished, it means he is enough for you. So stop trying so hard because you're stressing me out as your pastor. One of my favorite pastimes is arguing at our band of brothers. It's like legit my favorite. Is Eric in here? You see in the back. He's in the back teaching kids. Okay, good. Is my father-in-law here? I mean, he's present, but are you present? Okay. I just love arguing at Band of Brothers. This is what I do. I start saying things, and then Jared will look over at me. Jared's the guy that looks like a, like a, I don't know what that is, like a, yeah, hipster Moses. Okay. And, and, and Jared will go like this stir in the pot and he'll do like a little stir and I'm like no 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 this is me today stir in the pot and I'm obsessed with it is finished because most believers that I meet and you might disagree with me are living under a banner that it doesn't feel like I I'm not enough that's what I I see Christians saying I'm not enough the same people who would be the park square pukers and they're like how could I go to a church gathering on Sunday if I was just caught on Saturday because you think that your enoughness is what God is waiting for. You think that you've lathered yourself up with moral mud and you've got to clean it off yourself before you are able to come into these doors? No, 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 no. 
When Jesus said it is finished, he was saying he did all that you need morally. He did all that you need with authority. And he, here's what amazing, I just got to keep going because everyone tells me I've been preaching too long and I'm very tired, very tired. Death to resurrection. In this moment, the unseen realm, something happened between the death and the resurrection. What happened must have been the most glorious epic. You know when those, you see the videos, and maybe this is just me. Maybe I sin in this way and you don't. I love, I love a video where a bully gets the trash beat out of him. You know the kind I'm talking about? You know the kind where you see it, and it's like always in Australia. Like they're breeding victims different down there, okay? Like if you get bullied here, you tweet about it, maybe put out like a little post out. If you get bullied in Australia, it's a little kids too. And a big old bully, and he's like, uh-huh. And there's always bad words, so I don't recommend this kids if you're young in here. And they'll bully. And then all of a sudden, you just see little Fury Tyson come out of a, it's like an Oompa Loompa on steroids. And it's my favorite thing to see it because I'm a big person, but I was never a bully. My mom always taught me, God made you big to protect little people. So now I look at it, I'm like, I got to protect everyone. Y'all are tiny. Anyway, I look at the bully getting beat up and like inside of me, I'm like, yes, yes. And I'm like, don't stop. Keep hitting him. They're on the ground. I'm cheering for an eight-year-old beating a 10-year-old. Get him more, YouTube. I'm a bad pastor. Um, Something happened between here and here where Jesus took all the authority back. Before this, the authority was given by God to these rebellious spiritual beings. He said, you are going to manage this world and I'm going to bump you back in line. Read Psalm 82 if you doubt me. It says, talks about God having a counsel and he says, you're doing this wrong, spiritual beings. You're doing this wrong. You need to get your stuff in order or I'm going to wipe you out. God was even merciful with the rebellious spiritual beings. And somewhere between Jesus' death and his resurrection, God said, my plan this whole time. It's been a mystery. I, I've kept it from you, the spiritual beings. It's, we read in the Bible because Jesus at this point took back all the authority. Jesus, when he looked his weakest, when it looked like we've got him, guys. We've got him on the cross. He's about to die. This is the creator that came in the flesh, thought he could get us. That whole time, God in his infinite wisdom is thinking, this is the plan. This is the plan. I'm about to die. I'm going to show up on their door. I don't know if he smacked them, but I just imagine there's got to be something. Just took the keys. My keys. You have no authority. It's my authority now. And then he rises from the dead. That's why we're here. He is risen. Yep. Like, if this catches on, we're in a bad... Like I just feel terrible, because I know next year at First Baptist somewhere, someone's going to be like, he is risen. And some former chapel person that finally got tired of me is going to be like, yep. Good grief, man. We're going to make this happen, right? Take it to Ohio. TheOKSChurch.com. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth. See, we read this and we're such 
Western-minded people. We don't understand that Jesus is saying something specific. He's not just saying, yeah, I've got all the power. He's saying, no, all authority in heaven and on earth, all authority in the spiritual realm and the earth realm, my authority now, it's given to me. It's been taken from evil and given to me. So Jesus has all authority. Why does life still suck sometimes? See, Jesus came and he took the authority. It was given to him. And it says that Jesus was in the heavenly places. He's been seated above all rule and authority and power and dominion. This is the phrase that Paul uses in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament, over and over. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the authorities and powers and dominions. This is when, when Paul says this in the New Testament, he's talking about spiritual rulers, Elohim, that have gone rogue and Elohim that are still faithful. Jesus rules above them all. There's this cosmic spiritual battle in place and we're down here fiddling about and the resurrection of Jesus teaches us something that um, it's important because Jesus rose again. The 1 Corinthians 15 is the, the most important passage probably about the resurrection and I, I just need to read a few verses because if I read too many, I'm going to cry. And if I cry, I expect you to cry. Jesse, yep. Yep. Okay. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel. The gospel is a church word for good news. If you read a translation like the one that I generally read from, it still uses churchy words. If you hear the word gospel and you're like, that's a weird word, it's just because Christians can be pretentious sometimes. Amen? Amen. It just means good news. You and Gelion. The gospel is that Jesus lived perfect life. This creator came into human. He is now a divine being that is put into human flesh, and he never failed. And then he died, even though he should not have died, because he died so that he could do something that we've needed since the beginning. He died to restore and reconnect the spiritual relationship that we could have with our creator. And when he rose again, all of your sins are done. It is finished. The sins that you did do, the sins that you are doing, the sins that you will do, and I get accused of this all the time. Pastor Ryan, if you keep telling people that Jesus died for all their sins, they're just going to sin more. To which I normally reply, they're going to sin anyway. I'm not encouraging you to sin. I don't want you to sin because sin wrecks lives. But I'm confident that we will. Which is why we need the it is finished gospel. Not the if you are good enough, then God will love you gospel. Not the, here's seven steps to a happy, healthy marriage gospel. Not the, if you do these things, your kids will always obey you gospel. The gospel that says you are weary and tired and broken and captive and God has set you free in Jesus so that you can finally relax a little bit. I never knew that I could get an amen from saying chill out, people. Remember when I told Chapel family to take a day off and go to the beach? It's the most rebellion I've ever had at this church. Well, I can't do that. I've got children. I was like, it's super easy. Just duct tape into a pillar, put yours in the ground. Let the most feral survive. You're all laughing because you know which one of your kids is alive at the top of, you know, you come home and at the top of Charmin Ultra Bloodbath, there's one child, the middle one, standing there with a spark in victory. <laughs> you know it's true. 
Paul preaches and says, this is the gospel. Remember this gospel, that Jesus died for our sins according with the scriptures. He was buried and raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. He appeared to more than 500 people after he raised from the dead. And they're alive. Go talk to them. This is what Paul says. And this is important because it's not just a physical thing that Jesus did. When he died and resurrected, it was something very specific for us. Verse 20 says that, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So we talk about life and depth at times. And one of those things is that people will die And there's a spiritual reality that needed to happen that needed to overlap with our physical reality. Death is something that very few people examine. It's the only taboo thing left in our culture, really. Nothing else is off limits. Sexuality, every sin under the sun. Um, No one likes talking about death because it hurts, because it's the severing of a relationship. If you've lost someone, you know what that's like. In the resurrection, said Jesus was the first fruits. He's the forerunner. He's the one who's gone ahead and showed us this is what it will be like. But some will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Verse 36 says, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. What you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain, but God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Not all flesh is the same. There is one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. What Paul is saying here, is that this question, this is like a pastor question. What happens when I die? When you die, in Christ, your body is a seed. This body has sin in it. All these bad things that we talk about, the brokenness. This body must die because this body is an earth body with the breath of God. And when when this seed dies, it becomes something different. We become what we were meant to be without the sin, without the brokenness. That's why the Bible says there's no more pain, no more crying, no more sadness and depression, no more brokenness and heartache and heartbreak. This seed has to die in order for us to become what we were made to be, what we were in the Garden of Eden. This seed must perish. It doesn't make it easier but it's what is. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. As much as I want... Do you guys have this argument with your spouse? Amy and I talk all the time about who's going to go be with Jesus first. All the time. It drives her crazy. She's like, I'm going to be with Jesus first. I've had brain surgeries, blah, blah, blah. And then I say the exact same thing. Have you ever seen a 75-year-old person who's six and a half feet tall? No. We all go. 
first. And it's in jest in those moments. When it's not in jest, are, are the people that we pray for on our knees until they're calloused. We, we, we want to lift up people because in this broken world, we still want to be with people for as long as possible because somewhere in our minds, we're still thinking like, yes, I believe this with all of my heart, but man, I don't want to lose my connection with this person right now. So we pray for your daughter, your sister. We pray for Jeremiah's wife. We pray for Edwin and Kathy. We pray for the Bonaguras. We get some good reports. We get some terrible reports. We get great reports. We get medium reports. We get reports. We don't know what they mean. The whole purpose of the resurrection and Jesus saying, I'm coming to show you. He's saying, you, I am bringing together the spiritual and the physical. And I'm the first one of, of the kind. So now, from now on, if your faith is in me, I'm going to give you my spiritual DNA. You're a part of my family. You are covered in my blood so that when you walk through the doors of heaven, God the Father's like, that's my son, that's my daughter, that's my son, that's my daughter, let's go. It's not just that Jesus paid for our sins. It's that he brought us into his family, into his kingdom, and he has made us who we were meant to be from the beginning. Not perishable, but imperishable. Not dishonor and sin and brokenness and sadness, but glory. Not in a weakness, but in power. Not in the natural body, but in the spiritual body. Not in the earthly man, but as now a heavenly man or woman. So now when people are dying, I have this weird thought. Weird thought. And I need to go to more cemeteries. I really need to. Um, I used to go to them more. One of you, I know I saw you in here earlier, you live right next to a cemetery. That is my dream house. Like, I don't care about the house. I don't know what architecture. Like, you literally must have the coolest Halloweens every year. Just like, ooh, teenagers out there. And you could just terrify people. Um, but the fact that you have a reminder of the brevity of life. We don't, we don't do that, right? No, we don't talk about that we're all going to die. We're all going to die sooner than later. If you're over 40 and you don't think you're declining, I know some of you in here, you're like me. Like, oh, I still feel invincible. Come play pickleball with me one day. I'll mess you up. I'll mess you up. Well, you're saying that once you're over 40, you feel, you know, you should know. Oh, I know. Like if I drop something right now, I ain't getting it. Because I played pickleball three times last week. And we did this crosswalk because one of the teenagers here, Brendan, was like, hey, we did this at another church. Can we make a cross and walk around with it on Good Friday? And I was like, yeah, sounds fun. I saw the loop. I was like, what? It's like, you better hope some people show up for this. Because Big Papa's not carrying that cross the whole way. We had like, how many people do we have? Eight, ten people? plus a couple kids. You guys, we walked up to Publix. I found out there was a hill in Florida. I didn't even know. We walked all the way to Osprey. Like, if you don't know Fishhawk, don't worry. It's okay. If you're one of the carnies that are here, Osprey's the other entrance. We walked into Fishhawk. We got lost back here. I don't know what was happening. And then, like, we kept passing it off. You take it. You take it. You take it. Don Austin was greedy. He was like, I need it. I need it. And I was like, yeah, you do, sinner. 
We kept walking. I started bleeding out of my heel. I took my shoes off. They're like, you're going to carry the cross barefoot. And then this morning, the guys that were there, we go around touching each other's shoulders. How do you feel? Because that thing dug in, right? Now that I feel it, it didn't hurt at all. Because you're there, and, and the person with the cross goes on in front, and it's like, you're just prayer time. This is serious. Like, I'm, like Jesus did this with a much bigger cross. The cross is out in the lobby. By the way, if you did that, I want you to go find a Sharpie after and write your name in the bottom of it. We're going to just do it year by year. Don't worry, sir. I'll get better. No, I'm just kidding. I won't. Um, I shouldn't do that with guests. It's mean. But I love you guys. See, when Jesus rose again, he did something for you and for me. He said, you, you want to know why I've allowed cancer to exist? You want to know why I've allowed brain cysts? You want to know why I've allowed mortality? Because you weren't meant to be this way, humans. And for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years, you've, you've lived in a way that you weren't meant to be. And we all know it. We all know it in our knowers that the world's not the way, that we are not the way, that it shouldn't hurt when I do this. Right? We know it. And God says, I'm going to show you, and I'm going to make it all complete. Jesus, in the, the time between death and resurrection, took all the authority from the powers of evil. Jesus, between death and resurrection, showed us and was preparing his body. What type of body do we have in heaven? Is it going to be, are we going to recognize each other? Here's my best guess right now. Take everything about you and all the things that are falling apart. All of the falling apart things are a product of sin. Not your sin personally, but the fact that this world is moving toward death and decay. So you won't have any of that. So will you recognize your friends in the kingdom of heaven? Probably not your bald friends. Just being honest. Like, y'all are going to have hair. I'm going to have to call you Harry Gary. You won't have to have glasses. The thing that I do every morning right now what you guys do, if you're my age, you stand up and you play percussion. Pop, snap, pop, bang, poop, pop, ow, ooh, ah, ah. And then you brush your teeth. Then you're like, did I have water today? I didn't have water today. All that's done. All the, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? They're going to die. Nope, that's done. Did you hear about so-and-so has cancer? Nope, no, no, no more cancer. Cancer's all, all pow, all done, sorry. Hmm. So why would we be scared? Here's why we're scared. Because death means a separation of a relationship for a brief period of time. And it is scary. And it should be scary. Yes. When death occurs here, those who we grieve for are those left behind, not the person who has left us if they are in Christ. Jesus says, I'm going to show you what it looks like. And here's all that I know. When Jesus resurrected, he did a few things that make me looking forward to this. One, he walked through walls. That's pretty cool. Two, he ate fish, which tells me he might be a sushi lover, but probably cooked fish because it was in the Mediterranean. But that's pretty cool. Three, people recognized him. Four, he could still mask his identity because he walked with people for seven miles after he resurrected and he hid his identity from them. I don't know if we get that superpower, but I want it. Five, when he went to heaven, he ascended. So if we get to eat fish, walk through walls, fly like Goku, I mean, those three things I'm set. Sorry, the Goku is a really narrow reference. Fly like Superman? 
Is that more widespread, accepted? We, we get to know each other, to sit with each other, to eat with each other, and we are finally going to be what we're meant to be. This shell, these scars that I have, these pops that you have, the receding that we have, it's all going to be a memory. We were not meant to be this way. So when we pray for someone, like we're, we've prayed for Miss Kathy this week, we've prayed for Laura, we'll pray for Miss Linda, we'll pray for one another, we're praying that God will hold back the tide of this broken world and show us a little pocket of heaven. Because that little pocket of heaven reminds us that one day it's no longer a little pocket, but that Jesus has taken all the authority, and the next time he comes, he's making everything right that has been wrong in this world. And that's what Easter is about. Jesus holding the keys. However he took them, he has them. And he says, I'm going to put pockets now so people will see. And one day, we're going to wrap this whole thing up and we will reign spiritually forevermore. Let's pray. Lord, I'm sure, I'm a thousand percent, percent sure there are people here who are like, whoa, spiritual things. And Lord, I'm just asking that that you would speak to them. Lord, I can't convince people into your family. You must adopt them into your family. Lord, I know that there are people here with questions. I pray that you wouldn't let them leave without asking questions. Lord, whether it's their first time or their thousandth time gathering with us, if someone's here, Lord, in need of prayer, I pray they wouldn't hesitate to go to the back, to get prayed for in the corner, to come up to the front after service, Lord, I know it's Easter. I know there's souffles and hams and pastries to be done. But being part of this new wiring, the new way to be human, the way that you showed us when you defeated death and rose again, this is what I want for everyone here, Lord. And I feel like for some of them, it's just too far out of reach. Their mind has over-intellectualized this process. And they think that science and religion are at odds, or they think that being intellectual and faith are at odds. I pray that, Lord, you would speak to their hearts, speak through their loved ones to them, so that they would know that this thing we're doing, it's a reasonable faith. It's a faith based on history. It's a faith based on reason. It's a faith based on so many things that this world is grasping at, but they won't grasp your direction, Lord, because they still want to be little G gods of their own life. Lord, I give that up. You are my God, and I pray you would be the God of all the people here this morning. Lord, you are risen. In Jesus' name, amen.